Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Andreas Wagner will join us to discuss Sleeping Beauties. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, nature has several marvels that it's produced, but sometimes these have to wait before their day in the sun. Joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Andreas Wagner. Dr. Wagner is professor and chairman at the Department of Evolutionary Biology and Environmental Studies at the University of Zurich. His previous books include Arrival of the Fittest, which was a best book of the year for the Independent, Sunday Times, and Financial Times, and also published Life Finds a Way. His current book is entitled Sleeping Beauties, The Mystery of Dormant Innovations in Nature and Culture. And he joins us today to discuss this very fascinating topic for a general audience. And Dr. Wagner, thank you so much for joining us again here on the Grok Science Show. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it is certainly a pleasure to have you back on the program. Certainly a fascinating new book that you've put out entitled Sleeping Beauties. For Chris, why did you decide to put this book together? Well, actually, it was motivated not so much by my work and uh, the work of my associates here in Zurich, biological evolution, but through many conversations I had with creative people, you know, in the human realm, artists, uh, writers, you know, painters, and so forth. And in general, you know, creative people like what they're doing, but they're often very frustrated by their, you know, perceived lack of success, lack of success of at least some of their creative works. And I knew from a lot of reading that I had done that this was actually a fairly common pattern in culture that, you know, lots of creative products, you know, paintings, scientific discoveries, new technologies are not successful when they first arise and sometimes have to wait for decades or even centuries in a worst case until they become successful and widely appreciated. And also knew from my work in biology that examples like that also exist in biological evolution where new life forms may originate some point in time and they're actually, they barely eke out a living at the margins of the biosphere before they become really successful. And since I'm really interested in universal principles of life that apply both to the realms of uh, biology and of that of culture, I thought, why not put these two classes of ideas and observations together and write this book? Is the mechanism then selection, I the processes that go on in our culture that it takes a while to compete in whatever they're in? Well, certainly, you know, creative production happens, you know, by very different means in nature and culture. In nature, we have DNA mutations and natural selection or preserves those that improve upon existing forms of life. In culture, you know, we have ideas and there's a form of social selection where successful ideas are successful because, you know, others think that they are, you know, good and useful. But what I find especially remarkable that despite these great differences in the creative process in both domains, there are these similar principles that lots of innovations, creative products, you know, lie dormant for a long time, what I call sleeping beauties in the book before they become successful. How can they lie dormant for so long and survive in relative obscurity before having their moment in the sun? Well, so let's take one example, you know, grasses, you know, are today a very 
you know, successful group of uh, family of plants. You know, they cover huge territories on all continents, at least on all continents except Antarctica. They have radiated into 10,000 different species. And they're evolutionarily very old. They originated more than 65 million years ago, but at the time they were not successful at all. They did not become widespread. They did not you know, form many species. And they had to basically wait for 40 million years before they achieved any measure of success. So their dormancy, in a sense, is they eked out a living at the margins of the biosphere. That is, they survived, but not really very well by, by measures of their later success. And there is many other examples like that. You know, for example, in mammals, mammals we now know originated more than 100 million years before they became successful. And in fact, evolution invented or discovered, so to speak, multiple different kinds of mammalian life forms, for example, water living or tree living, multiple times. And these life forms then actually went extinct again and had to be rediscovered. So there's different ways in which dormancy manifests itself, but they all point to this important principle that, you know, dormancy is very, very frequent in innovations, both in nature and culture. It's sort of a numbers game. You produce a lot of different ideas in culture or different genes. Eventually, one of them pops up because the circumstances are correct. It's sort of a fluke in a way that if you wind up with that one, it's just the one that happens to survive. Exactly. And, you know, that is also a an important message, you know, to creative people who are frustrated at their lack of success. We have no control over the success of our creations. And, you know, people who think that they do, you know, they loot themselves. And it's very often the environment that needs to be just right for success of a creation. And there's many examples in the book about that. And so therefore, kind of futile to be really frustrated at lack of success if we don't have control over it. As long as you create with joy, you're going to be fine, even if your creations are not successful, because, you know, creating is like playing a lottery, very similar to the lottery that uh, organisms play with DNA mutations. And it's a comforting message to sort of embrace the process if you're a creative type, then hope for the best that it, it finds its place. Exactly. Was there any of these examples that was particularly surprising to you comparing nature and culture? As Yeah, you know, one specific example was especially striking to me, and that regards the phenomenon of antibiotic resistance. We know that antibiotics are important and that bacteria evolve resistance against them. But what few people know is that even bacteria that have never been in contact with humanity, for example, bacteria that have lived for millions of years in subterranean caves that have been completely closed off to the surface, when you actually study them, you find that they're often resistant against antibiotics, sometimes not just against one antibiotic, but against multiple antibiotics, including antibiotics that are man-made, that is synthetic, that don't occur in nature. And that's really remarkable, I think. What it tells us is that and these organisms have this unbelievable latent potential to deal with chemicals and survive with chemicals that they've never experienced. So that's quite striking. And it seems almost as if evolution was clairvoyant. But as I explain uh, in the book, this uh, clairvoyancy has a, quite a natural and mundane explanation. It's sobering in the sense that be a good steward of different life forms that are in the world because you never quite know what's out there. Exactly. The area of neuroscience, formation of the brain, the nervous system, sort of operates in many of the same ways as that there's dormant networks in the right set of network form. Absolutely. So, you know, the one person who has done very important work in this area is a neurobiologist of the name Stanislas Dehan, and I discuss his work, you know, in some parts of the book. And, you know, you know a, an interesting example there is the neural circuits that enable us to write and read text. And turns out that these are circuits that are 
ancient. They have been out there in animals, you know, long before humanity arose, and they are important for our ability and the ability of animals to recognize objects in natural languages. So it's it's exactly the same kind of brain regions that organisms needed to survive that have become co-opted, so to speak, to enable us to read written language. So they have this latent or dormant potential to be used for this purpose. And it's also very interesting in this regard that when you analyze statistical patterns in all human writing systems, whether it be you know, Chinese or the Latin alphabet or Cyrillic or whatever, you'll find that the patterns of line crossings and certain fundamental topological features of letters, symbols, share a lot of their properties with the kinds of line crossings you find in natural landscapes, forests or savannas. So there's an interesting, intriguing parallel here, again, pointing to the idea that we're kind of piggybacking some of our, what we consider advanced human capabilities, are piggybacking on ancient neural circuits that have the latent potential to be used for these abilities all along. Are there examples of this in proto-languages? Do you see the sort of systems emerge? Yeah, so, you know, unfortunately, we don't know too much about that. Language evolution itself, you know, is a sort of a thorny subject, and there's a lot of controversy around it. That's why I stick in the, in, in the book specifically to the example of writing. And an additional example that I didn't mention yet, that is of mathematics, which is equally fascinating, where it also turns out that the brain circuits that enable us to do mathematics probably one of the quintessential human abilities, are ancient. They exist in monkeys, and we know that also even very simple organisms, like bumblebees, have already a a rudimentary ability to count objects We can often be important for their survival. Now with the advent of generative AI, which is creating rapid pace, do you see that the things that can succeed will be more artificially generated? Well, you know, absolutely. You know, it's, I think it's a manifestation of the same principle. And, and, and what, uh, you know, AI, I'm not, you know, an, an expert in, in AI, but what AI uh, experts point to is that these very complex systems like those large language models, they show what are called emergent properties. You know, they are capable of doing things that nobody actually, you know, designed them to do. And the more complex they are, the more complex their abilities are. So it's exactly the same kind of principle. And I think if we want to use these kinds of systems safely, I think we need to get a better understanding of what kind of latent abilities such complex AI systems may have. Will it sort of be up to us to predict also the message of the book? It might just happen that they find the right niche and explode in a way as sleeping beauties of the future. Exactly. And so I think you know, this is really an open and very important research question that you know, we need to ask of AI systems and a lot of other technological systems. In your own field, looking at how nature operated on creating these sleeping beauties. Yes, and that actually came from some laboratory experiments we did on, again, the ability of bacteria to survive very harmful and toxic environments. Basically, what we did is, you know, we uh, evolved. So what we do all the time, you know, this is part of what my lab's work is about. We evolve uh, organisms in the laboratory to see how they adapt evolutionarily to new and harmful environments. So in this particular experiment, we um, took E. coli bacteria and uh, exposed them to a very high concentration of an antibiotic called ampicillin. And as we often see, within a few thousand generations, sounds like a lot, but it's really just a few weeks in the lab, these E. coli bacteria evolved resistance against these very high concentrations of ampicillin. But that's not the core of the experiment. What we really wanted to see is whether this ability to survive ampicillin also endowed the bacteria against 
with other abilities. So what we did, and before we started the experiment, we exposed the bacteria to hundreds, more than 220 uh, to be precise, very toxic environments, many of which had nothing to do with antibiotics, contained heavy metals or detergents, um, lots of substances that the bacteria don't like. And then we did the same thing again uh, at the end of the experiment. And we found that during this experiment, bacteria that had not become that had not been viable, could not survive in dozens of these toxic environments, suddenly had become able to survive uh, in these toxic environments, even though we had not selected for that ability at all. So what this tells us is that, is that even within a few weeks of evolution in the laboratory, we can, nature can produce massive, massive latent potential to survive in new environments. If you put the right stressors on, the right environmental conditions, then you will find these dormant abilities that pop out. And I think that that sort of process or the sort of selection or the sort of pressure can be utilized in other realms to bring out rapid changes that are beneficial for uh, either in nature or in, or in culture. Absolutely. So I don't know for sure, of course, whether this is going to work in general, but I think it's a very important research question and one that we will probably pursue in the next few years. People picking up the book, what would you like them really to take home regarding Sleeping Beauties? That the first message is one you know, of great generality and universal principles that are work, at work in all creative realms, those of nature and those of culture. And the second one is really a message for the creative types. Just keep creating and have fun doing it and don't worry too much about the outcome because you can't control it and it's all just a big lottery. And perhaps, who knows, maybe hundreds of years, hundreds of years after you're dead, your creations are going to become really successful. We were talking with Dr. Andreas Wagner. His new book, Sleeping Beauties, The Mystery of Dormant Innovations in Nature and Culture. Dr. Wagner, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks again. It was a real fun conversation. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.
Thank you.